Hello and welcome to Silence, a podcast where women get really honest about surviving and thriving in what often feels like a man's world. My guests are wonder women from the fields of science, technology, engineering and mathematics or STEM, where inclusivity and diversity can be a real problem. I know this only too well as a female Southeast Asian mechanical engineer. I'm kind of a minority within a minority. I'm Dr. Shanice O'Mara, an engineer turned broadcaster. Throughout my career, I've worked on and reported on some cutting edge technology and innovation. And through my TV work, I've met some incredibly inspiring women from a diverse range of STEM fields. Talking to these exceptional ladies has often left me feeling empowered, hopeful, and excited about life. I believe silence will enrich you too. Every week, a woman in STEM shares her unique experiences with absolutely no pressure in having to promote her accomplishments or guard her impressive reputation. Because I've come to realize that everyone is just way more open and relaxed when they're anonymous. So I deliberately disguise my guest voices so that we're just connecting as human beings rather than human doings. It's my hope that you really relate to what we chat about today. If so, please do subscribe to Silence and maybe even rate and review the show. I'd love to have your feedback. This week, my guest is in the field of human economy. Hi. Hi. I must say, I'm just going to admit straight off the bat that I have no idea what agronomy is. Yeah, so agronomy in the field of, is a, a field within agriculture and um, it really an agronomist in agriculture connects uh, the farmer to the, uh, the kind of information that they might need in order to uh, make their plants thrive. And so they are the an, an, an analysts, if you like, of, um, of the plants that they're you know, that the, the farmer is growing. And so they look at soil and um, moisture and what the plants are doing and, and then give feedback and information to the farmer who can then take some action. So they, they look at what the plant needs and then they provide that advice so the farmer can take that action. So um, I just do that in the human sense. So we are I'm really passionate about helping uh, rural women particularly to bloom where they're planted and... So we go out and we, look, we find out what their needs are and then we connect them to the opportunities to have those needs met and for them to thrive. And then is that across the board needs or is that in a specific area? Um, it's, it, it's expanding. So it has been um, to this point in um, providing, supporting online business and, um, and technology and but more and more we're also expanding more into the basic human needs of connection and um, confidence and, and clarity as well. Yeah. I must say there seems to be a lot going on in Australia to support women. Um, I don't know if that's true or whether I just happen to meet a lot of Australian women who are really trying to support other women. It definitely feels like there's uh, an expansion in that space for sure. Um, from when From when I started my first... Uh, first online business uh, in the early 2000s, we were definitely, you know, going it alone. And um, what I've seen more and more is really the focus on entrepreneurship and business and um, and the support infrastructure that sits around that. It's still very metrocentric, so it's very focused in big cities. Mm. Um, but there is, you know, there are some incredible women's networks and support mechanisms for women in Australia and 
Um, but for me, I'm passionate about the women who live outside of the cities being able to access support, which, of course, there's less of, but still more than there used to be. Yeah. So how did you end up at this point? What's been your career journey, particularly through a STEM lens? So for me, I live in a really isolated small town and so I reached my income and intellectual stimulation ceiling in terms of jobs at the age of 30 Um, and I had to start thinking creatively about what what I could do so what my options might be to bring in you know income into my family and also to contribute um, using my intelligence so my options were leave town Um, you know, leave my family, leave my town and go and live somewhere else and work um, in, you know, the other options that would be available to me or build an online business. And so I chose, I did choose the the former first. Uh, I spent nine months living in another community uh, working and then realised that wasn't what I wanted to do and came home and and started building my first online business. So for me, it really... My foray into tech uh, was out of necessity rather than a particular desire to get involved in online business uh, or building websites. But um, it's become, for me, it, I've realised the internet particularly has is such a great enabler in terms of connection and I quite can, you know, can quite honestly say that I can really only live where I live because the internet exists in terms of my own mental health, my connection to, um, you know, conversations, information, the bigger world that exists, and and then also, of course, as a revenue stream for um, for me to generate revenue from for my family. Mm. And even to be able to connect on this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it still blows me away that uh, what I feel so grateful for in life is that there are people way smarter than I am that have created this thing, you know, this thing called the internet and all of the amazing developments that sit around that that enable me to live a really rich and fulfilling life in a very geographically isolated place. I just, it blows me away when I think about even my grandmother who only passed away last year and the life that she lived and the isolation that she experienced. Um, and I just, it, it amazes me that in such a really relatively short period of time we've come so far that the kind of support that is available now um, to us so readily is just extraordinary. And I'm so, I genuinely am grateful for that every single day. Mm. It's interesting that you call yourself a woman in tech I mean you absolutely are a woman in tech but you're pretty late to the game um, in terms of kind of it sounds like you taught yourself to be in this industry um, what were the yes. sort of obstacles to getting into this world um, you know did you have to learn anything particularly technical so I've never gone down the learning how to code. So I'm not, I'm not a technician, you know, or a practitioner, or however you might describe someone who does the, you know, the building of technology. But I have um, always partnered with people who do that. Um, always at this point, uh, they've been men. 
Um, and so I actually haven't ever really described myself as a woman in tech, but what we do do is encourage the use of tech a lot to the women who are I'm even still further behind than where I am. So I think in, um, there are, you know, I was, even though I was a latecomer, you know, my, my first online business was in 2011, which is definitely late to the game. Um, I was still an early adopter in my communities. Mm. I was the first person in our yeah. town to have a website, for example, wow. in <laughs> the early 2000s. So I think... I'm still an early adopter even, and that's I guess that shows the, the reason why the work we do is so important mm. in terms of even educating and communicating about technology and how it can help you and the internet even to our people is because we're still quite a long way behind in terms of where people in the metropolitan areas are. Yeah, it's really quite amazing when you think about how competitive uh, STEM fields are in cities where you know, it really is a hub of pioneering work and cutting edge kind of innovation. And when you're surrounded by that, you tend to forget that there are some parts of the world that don't even have telephones. That's right. And it is, like, I even find, you know, one of one of our passions is always meeting people where they're at, which relies on you actually knowing where they're at and not just assuming that you know where you're at. Um, or that you know where the, the, the people, the market that you're serving is at. And we've, in fact, with some of our technology, skipped over the market completely. We didn't even realise it till we came to the market and we were like, this is too hard, too, you know, too overwhelming, we're not ready yet, um, And which is really fascinating. What actual examples of that? Well, so we built a platform that was all-encompassing. So we've got, um, you know, our members get access to, to their own store and blog and, you know, it's kind of all-in-one platform, which we thought, well, this is going to make life a lot easier for people to kind of get started in an online business world. You know, they could just have it all there for them, as well as being connected socially and to content and, um, and training and education through the same platform. But... In actual fact, it's just becomes an overwhelm, you know, an overwhelming space. It's almost like there's too much, you know, when you go in, when you're used to not nothing, then you get too much. It's 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 overwhelming, which is in fact then becomes a disabler. So I know that, it, and particularly even for those of us that live in rural communities, where shopping, for example, just going to the supermarket or going to the clothes shop we you know where I live we have one clothes shop and and uh, an op shop a you know, place where you can go and buy uh, second hand or upcycle up clothing that's it so when I go to the city I just find wow. it all too overwhelming there's too much choice right and that's what we're finding as mm. people it's like it's too overwhelming it's too hard to make a decision um and so we we have we've got to pair back then We've got to say, okay, well, what do people really need and what are they ready for? And let's deliver that while at the same time is educating them about what else is possible and then getting them ready for the next thing. But, for example, virtual reality and augmented reality in, is almost out of date in some worlds, you mm, know, in yeah. some places, but that's not even really a thing here in, you know, in, in many parts or the majority of rural Australia. It's 
brand new, people are like, wow, this is even possible. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting landscape to navigate um, because we don't, want to, we don't want people to get left behind. Mm. Yeah, but um, at the same time, you actually want to use technology um, for, to be useful. I mean, yes. um, the reason why I say that is because I'm right now in the middle of um, researching quantum computing and, mm-hmm. um, you know, dark energy and uh, quantum electrodynamics and things like that. And it's very deep physics and it's really abstract. Um, and you can get lost in it. You can, it's almost otherworldly. And talking to you is making me realize that, you know, all of this technology that we study and scrutinize is actually so that we can create things that are useful. And there you are on that end of the spectrum where you're actually using technology to change the quality of people's lives. Yes. And this is, and it's actually something we're really exploring even more as a, as a team and as a company to say, well, actually, you know, even today as a team, we won't be in a conversation about the what. We're very clear on who our people are, why we're serving them. You know, our mission is very clear, very, you know, we understand that really well. But the what is what we're really challenging at the moment because I think we're, well, one of the team expressed this notion that we're skimming the surface perhaps. Maybe we're, maybe we're just you know, we're just playing it safe in the sense that we're, you know, we're just sort of tapping into people's, what they think are their needs, which might be around business, but actually what they really need is this deeper human connection and we really need to go deep with them. And so uh, the, I think that evolution is to say then, and then, so we know that at a human level, we need to encourage people to go deeper and start to explore their humanity and, um, and their contribution and, you know, their the place on the planet, uh, how do you use technology to enable that is, is where we're at in terms of, you know, what sort of products and services do you start to deliver to people that enables that and makes it accessible and easy and to bring new concepts that aren't new in other parts of the world but are still brand new in our part of the world potentially so is really exciting and the internet enables that. Um, you know, I know stuff. I know stuff about things that I couldn't have imagined knowing about a couple of years ago because I have access to even really simple technology, like being able to watch a video online or participate in a live stream event or listen to an audio book um, while I'm driving. Why has your career gone in this direction? Um, were you the type of child? that always wanted to break out of the box? Yes, definitely. Um, why has my career gone this way? I, I think more and more, uh, I used to call it cumul- cumulative wisdom. Um, I think that for many years, my you know, 20s and 30s were very much about ticking things off the list, even though I didn't really have a list. But I'd put things on a list and say, tick, I'm never doing that again, you know? Um, or that was a great experience, and then I would take the knowledge 
and the skill and the learnings from that particular experience and bring it into the next iteration. And because of where I live, I've been in business for myself since my early 20s and have been really allowed to be quite creative in those businesses. And, and I think that means that my humility wisdom from those experiences is, is rich and diverse, which I'm really blessed with. Um, and then it's a matter of saying, well, okay, I've got this full bag of tricks now. What am I going to do with it next? Mm. Um, and I think always, though, in terms of my career, my contribution has always been about service to others and right. about, so for me, blooming where I'm planted is really important and empowering and enabling other people to do the same. And that means... Um, that, that, that's come in many different forms, but, you know, I've had a restaurant, I've run project management businesses, I've delivered all kinds of different services and it's everything, the, the common thread that sits through all of that is wanting to make things better for people in the best way that I knew how with the tools that I had at the time. Um, and just building a bigger bag of tricks every time I iterate into something new. Yeah. I mean, I must say I'm finding your path into STEM deeply fascinating because <laughs> a lot of my guests on the show have, you know, been sort of mathematically inclined from a very young age. They've um, got sort of, you know, good grades in STEM subjects, you know, physics and maths, and then they've gone on to university and it's all been quite formulaic and mm -hmm. academic and what's really refreshing about your approach is that all your experiences seem to have identified a need and you've got really clear about what that need is in order to help other people and yes. then you've just kind of used technology to plug that need yes. and it's kind of what I find so inspiring about it is that you're not intimidated by technology that you need to solve your problem. And it's kind of, I mean, it's really a badass approach because technology can really intimidate women, but you don't seem to have fallen into that trap. To be honest, I don't think I've had the luxury of being able to afford to fall into that trap um, because I've had to make a living and I had to make a living where I live. Um, and so for me, it was do it or go live somewhere else. And to go live somewhere else wasn't an option. You tried it. So for me, yeah, yeah I tried it and that wasn't for me. You know, I love the place that I live. And I, I really, in some ways, I guess, am motivated to prove that this miracle that human beings have created of the internet and technology enables us to really to own that you know to own that we we can live in geographically isolated places and thrive you know and contribute as well um because so often you know the women or men and women in rural regional and remote communities all over the world are not seen and not heard and in fact many times they're looked at as the poor cousins and mm. that they need to be rescued um, which I find deeply troubling and it's a narrative that we all tell, not just people in the city, but it's a narrative that rural people kind of tell as well. And 
it's not the truth. You know, there's really smart, sophisticated, creative thinkers, entrepreneurial people in these areas. And I think the technology gives us a pathway and an opportunity for those people to be unearthed and, and then, you know, discovered and then shared with the world because they've got important mm. things to say and to share. Um, and so I think, look, to be honest with you, you know, it's interesting to hear the, the pathway, that formulate pathway of, your, of other guests around maths and science because actually I really struggled with maths and science um, at school and... They were definitely not my strong, you know, English, history, geography, or not even geography. There was too much maths and science in geography even. Um, you know, but English and history, that uh, they were, and drama and music, creative stuff, that was where my passion was, and agriculture as well, being a farm girl. But maths and science bamboozled me, but um, that's why there are other people out there that, aren't bamboozled by that, who are really clever and and good at that, that I would collaborate with. You know, why would I try and learn something that I'm just clearly never going to learn or be, I could, but it's going to take me a lot more energy and effort when there are people out there already doing it that we can partner with and collaborate with. And more and more, actually, we're, you know, looking at our, as we look at our business model, we're moving, we're really saying, actually, do we need to build anything or can we just be mm. really great partners for other people who are doing great technology? You can be a tech company that, uh, could we be a tech company that actually doesn't build any tech but yeah, partners yeah. really strategically? And we need more people like well. you in our STEM fields because really you're expanding STEM to STEAM adding an A, the arts, and, you know, in the sense that what you're bringing to the STEM world is so creative. Um, You know, you're not bogged down with the technicality. You're not sort of training your brain to think in a binary way in terms of zeros and ones. Um, And because there is that Mm. fluidity in the way you think, it means that STEM is actually becoming a lot more flexible with collaborators like you because we in STEM we do have the know-how but sometimes we are lacking that out-of-the-box thinking lateral thinking um, which you know the greatest scientists like Einstein and Leonardo da Vinci had you know that sort of polymathematical brain where it was you know all about the arts and the sciences coming together. There's the, I think what also is missing or isn't in that, you know, in terms of STEM, we're talking now yes. STEAM, but I think there's the humanity that sits in there. And I think if you, if, you, if you view STEM through the lens of humanity, then you can't not but come up with creative solutions because otherwise yes. you're just building stuff for stuff's sake. Um, and I think which is great, you know, there's no reason why not to do that. But I think it's the, the human, if you put it through the lens of humanity, it's saying to what end are we doing this? And I keep thinking about this a lot in terms of the, you know, the space race, um, you know, the kind of quest to live on, on other planets and this interplanetary concept and the science and engineering technology that goes around all of that and the thinking that goes around it. I'm so curious as to where the lens of humanity mm. is really in that 
face and um, and also with this kind of notion of bigger is better and you know when you think about buildings and, and how people are living I'm always really curious about why we're building the way that we are now even though we know we should be building differently um, it, yeah I think it there's, for me, what's missing from the science technology from that, as you describe it, you know, that binary thinking is the lens of humanity. Um, and that people, even with that binary thinking, if they put the lens of humanity there, would possibly think, you know, would think differently themselves. But if not that, at least we'd be open to the collaboration with other people who will think differently. Mm. I mean, I just absolutely adore that notion. Um... I think you've just completely nailed it in the sense that sometimes STEM isn't really appealing um, on a mass scale because it lacks humanity. Mm. Yet what we develop in technology affects us so deeply. You know, it's the difference between yes. clean water and water that, you know, will kill us too early. And yes. um, so whatever it is that's being done in technology uh, really does profoundly change the way we live, yet it's delivered in such a way that is mm. so um, remote from humanity. Yeah, I mean, I knew there was a reason why I felt that you would be great on this show because initially I was like, oh, <laughs> no, um, you know, my guests do tend to have like a really... Uh, focused STEM background um, and you know obviously when we met I thought you know you'd be great on the show but then at the beginning of this uh, podcast I was just thinking I can't quite remember what it was you know that <laughs> that made me think um, she would be amazing on the show but now I know exactly why I mean you're bringing an entirely different perspective to STEM and one that is so desperately mm. needed because you know, so much effort is being put into encouraging women into STEM and, you know, trying to popularize STEM. And you've just identified what that key um, barrier is between the mass public and STEM. It's a lack of humanity. Well, and actually, I think this is the opportunity for women. This is how I see the opportunity for women in STEM is that it's not so much about STEM as it is about bringing the lens of humanity. It's the, because it's, you know, it's the rise of the divine feminine. And I know that sounds like really woo-woo and out there, but actually what women do best is connect and collaborate and nurture and, you know, bring things to life. I mean, literally that's what, you yep. know, women do. And if we think about that less in the physical and practical sense and more in the metaphorical sense, we bring things to life. And But what, what's happening or what's happened is that we've, we've been living in such a, um, you know, a masculine uh, way, very left-brained uh, society, that women have then become operational in the same way that men are thinking very left brain, very practical, very numbers, binary, however you want to describe it. But, and in some ways we've lost the innate gift that women have um, in that. So it's the opportunity for women, I think, 
in these fields to reclaim their femininity and to bring that to the table with their skills and ability in STEM. So using technology to resurrect our feminine purpose. I think so. I just love that. That's just absolutely amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Well, it... <laughs> I mean, totally. It's, you know, I think that there's lots of changes happening in the world globally. There are, there are so many things that are being disrupted purposefully and not purposefully. You know, some of it's just happening and some of it's happening because people are deliberately, you know, making it happen. But what's been missing, as we know, is women. You know, women and that notion of diversity or the notion of um, the humanity. The, yeah, that everybody has equal value um, is what's been missing. And so what we're, what we're really trying to say when we're talking about diversity in a field, which is what, you know, we're saying we need more women in STEM, we need more women in politics. We need more women's voices generally across the board. But the reason women have resisted, and maybe they're conscious of this and maybe they're not, but I think the reason that women have resisted that is because it's a system that doesn't really align with who they are and how they yeah. be in the world. And I think what we're seeing is women exiting these fields for that reason. You know, there are mass exoduses as women from the corporate world. There are mass exoduses of women from politics. Because the system no longer, they can no longer live within that system and still oh, remain whole totally. human beings. So I think the opportunities for us to reclaim our, you know, the essentialness of what women bring, the, the brilliance that women bring, recognise that men bring their own equal brilliance and saying, well, how do we merge those? And, it, and for women who have got a passion for, you know, for STEM, bringing that uh bringing the, the essence of their gift as females, as women, to the, the technical skills that they have, I think is really exciting. I, I can literally feel it? my eyes welling up. Like, honestly, it just, <laughs> I, I couldn't agree with you more. Like, I just, I feel like women have had mm. to try and put on a male straitjacket. And... You know, and, and, and what, yeah. what breaks my heart is that when women can't be like men, That's they right. feel like they've yeah. failed. But they shouldn't be like men. And they haven't failed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but we're not given the space and the platform and the respect to actually uh, let our voices yeah. be heard. Well, that's the work to do. Yeah, and I guess, um, so what you're doing is using technology to give women that voice. Yeah, but so the, the, the bloom, you know, the kind of, the reason my business came into being was to help rural women reclaim their most powerful voice and then provide them a platform from which to amplify that voice. And I think every community, every country, every you know, area, every marginalised voice needs the same. And But but what I'm realising more and more is that that's an inside job, you know. I can't do that for other people. They've got to do it themselves. But we can give them as much support 
as we can to do that. And for us, when we live in isolation, technology becomes the key, really, because we need to reach these people and we can't spend our whole lives sitting in cars. Mm. It's not efficient and it leads to adrenal fatigue, burnout, and it costs a lot to the environment mm. as well as to the human. So um, I think the people have to, like women, you know, I've, I've witnessed um, I've witnessed so many women try and be men Absolutely. in their leadership, in their style, in you know, in the way that they work, in breaking themselves to become good at things that aren't traditionally, you know, that are traditionally male-dominated fields. But the what the world misses them is them frankly, as human beings because they're getting a modified version. We're only experiencing a modified version of that. And the thing is people do this really unawarely. They don't do it consciously. It's because we've been yeah. habituated to that. It's That's what our role modelling has been. And so you just do it out of instinct. And it takes a lot of work and effort and awareness and consciousness and time to reprogram. But it's totally possible to do that. And I think the more women do that, the more women in leadership roles lead as women and that being a woman doesn't mean you can't be powerful and successful and you know all of the things that we're aspiring to be it just means you do it in your difference it's really inspiring when you see that yeah and what prevents women from being that is the fear of getting crushed under male supremacy i guess it's you know, we're, we yes. need to empower women to yes. keep going with their vision. Um, and it's tricky, isn't it? Because not all women have, yes. have great visions, just like not all men have great visions. But it's overcoming almost like a personal barrier. I think and a lot of women are so scared of failing in the eyes of others that they yes. just don't try at all. Yes, and... Or they're so afraid of succeeding that they don't try at all as well. I mean, I think there's as equal fear of success as there is of failure for women and, and possibly even... What are we scared about when we're scared about success? Um, being seen. Uh, I think safety comes a lot into, the, you know, into this idea. Trust and safety are kind of two big things, you know, two big um, ideas that... There's a lot of insecurity, which is, I would say, is this lack of safety, that women feel a lack of safety in their environments. People, lots of people generally feel unsafe. And that, that isn't getting better in terms mm. of the kind of real world that's happening. Um, but we become the stories that we tell. And I think that we are, that women are retelling an old narrative as well about um you know, not being able to succeed because of male, you know, being in a male-dominated mm. industry, et cetera, et cetera. And I think until our stories change, whether whether they're true or not, but until our stories change, we'll stay stuck in that same right. narrative. And so, yes, the vision that you're saying, people need to hold a vision. They need to hold a vision and tell the story about that vision, not about the problems they're experiencing right. on the way to the vision. But by telling the... Uh, by the... So... 
by being open about the problems that they're experiencing, doesn't it give women a chance to say, oh, me too, okay, it's not just me experiencing that alone. If we're all experiencing this, we can overcome it. Absolutely. Yes, if we tell a different story about it. So yes, naming it, yes, calling it out, yes, but the airtime has to shift into the vision um, because otherwise people stay in the Me Too space, you know, they just stay mm, in that space yeah. of victimisation and you just continually be re-victimised. They wallow in the muck. Yeah, and look, and that's fine, you know, except that do you want to feel good and make it, you know, and change your life or do you want, do you want to stay in the story? Um, some will want to stay in the story because that's part of their identity. You know, I think some familiar. people have very big identities around, yeah, the familiarity of the story, even if it sucks. Mm. Um, but in order, you know, where I've seen people grow and where I've experienced growth myself as a person has been where I said, ah, that's an old story, you know, a story of whatever it might have been it's time to change that story and I'm going to tell a new story until that new story becomes the truth for me. And to be honest, one of the biggest stories I told myself was that I couldn't be successful and live in a small rural town because that was what the narrative was. The only, it's, you know, the, the tall poppy syndrome in Australia that people talk about and it's just to cut people down, you know, that, that reach the top. We, we don't really like people being successful in Australia. We're very quick to chop them off. Mm. And um, that's a really powerful story people keep telling, whether it's true or not. And so the, and in rural Australia, the, the notion was you've got to leave to go get educated and you're really only successful if you've lived in the cities and you live in the cities. Mm. And if you come back to your own country town and you stay, well, then you're just a bit of an idiot. And even the narrative that people that care about the bush were telling was, that the focus was always about trying to bring people back to the bush. You know, we've lost all of our talent and we've got to bring them back, which in fact turns their back on the very greatest resource that they have, which is the people in their community. Mm. So I decided that I needed a new story about that because I just felt unsuccessful in my life generally because I was living in a small country town. Even though my businesses were successful, I was making a difference, I was living a beautiful life, I still didn't feel successful because the story that I was telling was, oh, I don't live in Sydney, ergo, I'm not successful. So I just started to change that. I'm like, I am incredibly successful and I can feel successful living in a small country town. I have permission for that. And it really started to change things. And what's amazing about that is that you were changing within yourself. Nothing on the outside yes. was changing. It was all Nothing within. else changed. That's right. And then what starts to happen is that you start to see changes on the outside. Right. People used to say to me, oh, why do you live there? You know, you could you could be making more money and doing everything if you were living in the city. People would say that to me all the time. The minute that I started changing the story in my own head, that stopped happening. That doesn't happen for years now. People are always saying to me, oh, my God, it's so amazing. You're so successful and you live in a you know, tiny little dot on the map. So I think it's the narrative has to change from within. And so if women are going to really claim their place, they've got to change the story they're telling themselves that they can't, you know, or that 
men will stop them or that they're in science and so they can't, you know, or, or they're a tech person, so that means it's going to be harder for them because they're a woman in tech. There's, I read, oh, there was a beautiful woman interviewed recently. She was the first, I can't remember if she was the first female gynecologist in mm-hmm. Sydney, you know, in Australia. And they said to her, you know, they were asked, the, the, the um, journalist was asking her about the, uh, the glass ceiling. You know, did you ever experience, um, you know, backlash or problems from your male counterparts? Because she was the only woman in her class. And she just said, no. My family raised me to believe, my father and my mother raised me to believe that I could do anything. And so I did. And you think, well, that's kind of simple, <laughs> really. She traced, you know, she blazed a trail, but she she said, and my, my grandmother, I remember asking my own grandmother who was, you know, the first female real estate um, agent in a big company in, um, in Sydney in the, I guess, in the 60s. And I asked her the same, did you ever experience a glass ceiling and she, did you get paid less? Was there thing? And she said, no, I never felt intimidated. I never felt like I wasn't capable and I never felt like my male um, colleagues thought less of me because she didn't believe it. Because she wasn't believing the story. She just, she didn't have the luxury. She didn't have the luxury of that belief because she had to earn a living for her family, you know, and so it's the same as you, you said to me earlier about the you know my pathway to STEM, and I honestly I just didn't have the luxury of not figuring out how to tap into and use this resource that was going to enable me to to stay where I lived and still contribute and make a living. Gosh, I mean, people spend their entire lives supporting the story. Oh no, I can't do this because no one else has. It's always going to be hard because I'm in a minority. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even my intro to this show, I'm a no- minority within a minority. It's like, so what? Yeah. That's the old story. <laughs> That's right. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm literally blown away by your words <laughs> because I like, I've even... I have been supporting the story, even with this very podcast. You know, I live in the story of the past and I live in that sort of like, oh, no, I won't be able to do that. No, no one has ever been able to achieve that. Who's like me? And it's like, no, <laughs> that, that, that means nothing. I yeah. can change that story. I can you like rewrite history. You literally can. And it's. It is that simple. It just becomes, you know, it's just getting, you know, if you think about your brain as a, um, a tape player, you've just got to run over the top of the old program enough until it's just new, the story, you know, until you just believe that yeah. story and the old one's gone forever. It, and I look, I, the, um, the name of the film's just left my brain, but there's that incredible film, which I just saw the other day, of the three... Um, African-American women who were part of the, um, you know, the original uh, space mission with NASA. Hidden figures. Yes. I mean, there's a scene in that film where one of the women has to petition the court to go to to school, you know, to an all-white school so she can learn engineering. And she says to that guy, someone's got to be the first. And she gives him 
this wonderful spiel where she's done research on him and said, well, you were the first in your family to ever go to university and you were the first in, you know, whatever. And, and he's like, oh, yeah, you've done your homework. And she's like, well, someone's got to be the first. And you realise in that moment that she is inviting him to rewrite the story with her, you know, not for her but with her. And there's something really powerful in that. And I think there's, we've got, you know, STEM is, um, STEM is so important to our humanity and women bring humanity in a whole other way that is still emerging, I think, on our planet. And if we keep telling the stories that we can't or we shouldn't or we won't or it's not possible or they'll stop us, then we won't ever progress mm. beyond that. And more of us just have to tell another story. That's all. And then there's a tipping point and it changes. And, you know, one of the stories is gender. I mean, do we even yes. need to be talking about gender? We're, we're talking about pioneers here, trailblazers. Yes, I mean, who cares right. what gender they are? Yeah. Gender is a construct. Gender is a construct. Someone decided that. You know, those bits meant that and those bits meant yeah. that. You know, it's a construct that we created, which means we can change it, you know. And people are doing that, you know. They're doing that by challenging those stereotypes and by being, you know, people describing themselves as now non-gendered. Um, so all of it, money, you know, the money system that we operate in, um, all of it's up for disruption, all of it's up for challenging and all of the stories can be completely changed if we choose to. And if enough people start telling different stories, then you see the tipping point and you, you get a different outcome. But the interesting thing, I think, about technology is that this, even with the advancements that we've got, there's still very few new ideas and really what we're doing is just using our current technology to enable old wisdom like i keep thinking about this in terms of say big part big players like airbnb and uh, you know the other kind of car sharing mm. platforms and it's really just saying you know like they're old ideas uh, that's just yeah this has been going on forever people sharing their homes you know freely with people with three strangers mm. either for money or exchange of some kind all we're doing now is making that more accessible using current technology of today. But that stuff would have been happening. Well, it's kind of written you know, in the Bible. Early sapiens. <laughs> the three so yeah. It's written everywhere. Exactly. It's, um, so it's, it's not new. None of this stuff that we're learning is new. We think it's new and it feels new, but actually it's not. It's, it's, it's timeless and we're just using new technologies. We, we get smarter or we think we're smarter and we find other ways mm. to express that creativity. We're just rehashing yeah. old stuff in, yeah. in different format, which is super cool and exciting. And, and women are bloody amazing at that. And so I think we need to start telling ourselves that story so that we can unleash that creativity and, and really make a difference. Yeah, I mean, in listening to you, I'm thinking about the negativity that we are bombarded with every single day. I mean, you know, now people are talking about how social media is narcissistic and, yeah, there's definitely that element to it. But, you know, that's just so irrelevant when you start thinking about the potential for good that technology can 
be used for. Why are we getting bogged down with the ego-driven side of technology? Yes, it exists, but, you know, why are we fixated about that? Let's look at the good that can come out of the same technologies. One of the one of the shaman principles that I follow, I have sitting here on my desk, there's nine of them, but one of them is energy flows where attention goes. Mm. And I think you can build a really, I mean, I certainly feel like I've built this incredibly um, positive, supportive bubble that I exist in um, because, because I put my attention on, um, you know, I put my energy where I want my attention to go, which is in positive directions with great people doing amazing things, you know. So that's where I put my focus. So, um, but when you get, when I occasionally get sort of dragged into or I make a foray into the real world, where those bubbles don't exist, I realise um, just how powerful that story space is and um, how important the edu- you know to teach people is that they can change that story. Um, but a lot of people don't even want to hear that because they're happy in their discomfort or their unhappiness as well. But, you know, there's... So the real work, we think the work is the doing, and I love in your intro that you talk about human being, you know, human beings, not human doings, mm-hmm. or that we're, you know, having a conversation um, in silence so that we can focus on that beingness. Yeah. Because I think people think the work they've got to do is the do, you know, it's the practical stuff, but actually the work they need to do is on themselves first. And... Um, it's on, you know, being clear on their vision of who they are and how they want to show up and contribute to the world and then the pathways for that will become obvious to them if they let them. Um, and I don't know why we get caught up in the negative other than to say it's possibly still a very primal instinct of fight or flight and that's really it it stems back to the days when we were on you know the savannas being hunted by lions and tigers and bears and that our natural instinct is fear first rather than you know excitement and enthusiasm and passion and positivity we go immediately to fear and it's a very powerful emotion and so people just stay stuck there yeah, I mean, most people are trying to protect and defend themselves. Yes. We haven't got to a level of peace of mind where we believe we're safe because Correct. I don't know if we are safe, but certainly the media, you know, uh, smothers us with messages that we are unsafe. That's right. And that's... And that, so that notion of safety, again, it's almost delusionary um, for people, but they become to believe that they are unsafe or they become subconsciously wired that they are unsafe. And that's why we see such huge issues now with heart disease and adrenal fatigue and stress-related illnesses and um, because people's physicality, like their, the physiology of them as human beings, is being so significantly wired, um, impacted by that continuous lack of safety and it whether it's real or perceived it's having a physiological Mm. impact and 
Um, and technology in some ways can add to that to make it worse. You know, it's like people chucking tracking everything about themselves can make them even more stressed about what yeah. they're not doing, um, you know, than it can be about a tool that harnesses, you know, that they can harness to improve their life. Um, but I think safety is a big issue that we're not really talking about as a, as a kind of community narrative around how do you help people learn, relearn how to feel safe regardless of what's going on outside of them. So it's that unconditional safety. Um, I think is a really interesting conversation. Mm. I mean, I don't think we live in a world where we are unconditionally ever going to feel safe. Um, But I think it's probably the difference between being led by your brain and led by your heart. Mm. And I think if you're led by your brain and your head, um, you will always be in a state of fear because you can always find reasons to feel unsafe. Whereas when you're led with your heart, um, I don't know, you're more tapped into the flow of life um, and it doesn't necessarily make sense. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it's, I love, I love the work of Michael Singer. I mean, there's so many books that I've read and um, people's work that I follow that his work particularly um, really strikes me as just a simple notion and he really talks about surrender and that this idea of surrender is really something that you master by forgetting what you like and dislike, which is that to say that it's ignoring the kind of noise in your head Um and serve the moment that's in front of you. And if you do that, you just cannot feel unsafe. There is a deep sense of peace that sits with you because you didn't, This, you know, he, he says it took 13.8 billion years for this moment to arrive in front of you. Do you really think you had anything to do with it? Mm. To, to do with it? Um, it's, you know, we, this world will go on with or without you. And so how much impact do you really think you have? That's the egoic's voice. But if you forget the ego and you just serve the moment that's in front of you, you find a real sense of inner peace. And when I when I practice that and then when I'm in those states, you know, as you describe as flow, it's yeah. beautiful. And there's no way you can feel unsafe even though there's stuff going on around you that could tell you I should feel unsafe right now. But when you're in that kind of I'm just serving the moment that's in front of you, that's all you're doing. That's all you're focused on. So... What's the name of that author again? Michael Singer, S-I-N-G-E-R. I feel like we could chat for hours about this because, yeah. <laughs> we could. I mean, it's gone on a very, you know, slightly left of field tangent for you, no doubt. Well, um, what's beautiful, what's been beautiful about this conversation is that um, we started behind the STEM facades and we kind of removed them and actually just got really honest and vulnerable with each other. And we went from being exactly that, like human doings to human beings. And we connected on that level. And, you know, from speaking to you, I I just have so much hope for women because we really do bring something essential to the table. And I think that is
and then um what's been really beautiful about this conversation is that we started off behind stem facades and we then sort of like through a process of really getting honest and vulnerable with each other we're able to discard those facades and really just get down to um the essentials of just being human and i feel like that's what society needs to do in order to let women have their rightful place in society because what we do bring to the table is essential for balance in this world and for some reason over the generations it's just got so male skewed and whilst they may be having a glorious time exercising all their power i think they're really missing out on what women bring and i feel like you are absolutely pushing for that kind of change um in giving women a voice and you're using technology to do it and you know this conversation has completely taken me by surprise because you've offered such an essential and valuable perspective on technology through what you're doing that's awesome that makes me very happy i just thank you so much for coming on the show oh thank you for inviting me i mean this is actually my mission in process right you know I'm I live in a rural isolated little area but I've got you know I've got sort of wisdom to share and and need a platform to share it from so that other people can learn as well and you've done that for me too using technology so I, I just think it's such an incredible time to be alive and that we need all voices we need all voices at the table in equal measure with um with equal value and and I think that we're all missing out if any of those voices are, are missing from the experience. And yeah, I think it's it's exciting times. I feel I feel hopeful for the future for all of us as well. I must say, whichever way you use technology to do what you're doing, uh, what I think is even more impactful is the fact that you believe in yourself. And I really thank you for that because I think your message of self-esteem and self-love has really been the most powerful part of the station. So thank you. That's it from my STEM guest this week. I honestly feel humbled by the conversation that we've had today. Maybe I came into this podcast with a little bit of a STEM ego you know, women in STEM, you know, we're great mathematicians and scientists and all of that. And through the words that I've heard from my guests today, I realized that it's so not about that. It's about using our brains to be more human and to be more feminine and enjoy all the aspects of humanity that our femininity represents to flourish. And as my guest always says to bloom thank you so much for listening this week don't forget to rate and review the show and catch you next week on silence